Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, good morning again on this Easter Sunday, 2019. And today we gather with Christians around the world to celebrate one simple fact, one extraordinary fact, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Some years ago, uh, I was doing missionary work in Sweden. This was many years ago, and this is around Easter time. And so my team and I, we, 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 we took to the streets with camcorders. Remember those things? Before everything was on our phone. Um, and we were curious. And so we kind of just interviewed people like Jay Leno used to do back in the day. I'm dating myself, I know. Um, and, and we asked people, what does Easter mean to you? And, and the main response we got overwhelmingly was eggs. <laughs> Chocolate eggs, real eggs. In the words of one gentleman, lots and lots of eggs. Now, this past week, I, I wanted to do a similar kind of interview on the streets of Fullerton. I didn't have the time, but, but my guess is that we might find something, you know, kind of similar. And, and I actually, I love all those various cultural expressions uh, of Easter. For example, in my family, we're big fans uh, of chocolate bunnies, especially my daughters. We're big fans of Easter egg hunts, uh, for example. So this was a couple years ago as I was getting ready for Easter Sunday and I was sliding on one of my boots. I noticed that like there was something in there and it turns out it was a street strategically placed and well hidden Easter egg that one of my daughters that just apparently they got so excited about the Easter egg hunt. They just kind of got a jump start on it. So that, that was pretty awesome. So, so we love all those sorts of things, but of course there is something so much more significant that we are celebrating this morning. Because today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. The literal, the real bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And the resurrection of Jesus, and and you really need to hear this, it's either the greatest hoax that has ever been pulled or the greatest news in human history. It's really one or the other. This is either the greatest hoax or the greatest news that's ever been told. And so we come here today celebrating what happened on Easter morning 2,000 years ago. And that's why we are here today. Now, I realize we, we probably have people here from lots of different backgrounds. And so perhaps some of you were invited here by a friend or a colleague or a family member. And perhaps some of you were maybe incentivized by the offer of a ham or turkey meal. Uh, I, ho- I, hope, I hope it's worth it. I hope it's good. Uh, but perhaps some of you aren't uh, huge fans of church. And I just want to say, we're so glad you're here. We're just so glad you're here. And I want to say I'm sorry because the church sometimes, actually too often, gets in the way of Jesus. And I really, really just want him to be front and center this morning. Now, what's interesting about Easter, the first Easter, is that it actually didn't start with celebration. It actually didn't start with joy. Instead, it began with confusion, with bewilderment. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know what to do with this whole resurrection thing. Well, guess what? You are in wonderful company because Jesus' closest friends, like his most committed followers, actually on Easter morning, they were completely bewildered by this news. So that's where I just know you're in really good 
company today, but somehow they like turned this corner such that they came to believe that Jesus really did rise from the grave to such an extent with such confidence and strength that they were willing to even give their lives for this. And so like what happened? Like what, what happened? Well, before we get to that, we, we need to enter into the story a bit. And I'll set it up like this. Have you ever been told something that you found difficult to believe, perhaps impossible to, possible to believe? So for example, this is, you know, kind of hypothetical. But let's say, um, you know, back in the 1990s when, you know, like really baggy jeans were all the rage. I'm talking like, if you didn't live the 90s, like they're like really baggy jeans. If somebody would have told me that one day skinny jeans would be cool again, I'd be like, no way. That is impossible. That is logically impossible. I couldn't even conceive of that scenario in my mind. Of course, the 2000s happened, right? Uh, and of course, that's a trivial illustration, but that at least helps us get at what we find in the story we just read from the gospel according to Luke. And in this story, we see that both the women and the men, everybody, and these are Jesus' closest followers, his closest friends, even though they'd spent three years doing life with him, doing ministry with him, watching him work and teach and do miracles and sharing life with him. In spite of all of that, they were operating on a set of assumptions which set them up to miss the biggest event in human history. And so you might wonder, how, like, how did they miss that? And so let's look at this passage from Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible with you, we'll look at verses 1 through 12. If you don't, we can follow along on the screens. And we read here that when the women came to the tomb, and this is, again, some of Jesus' closest followers, when they came to the tomb, it says in verse 4 that two men appeared before them dressed in, quote, clothes that gleamed like lightning. So in other words, what we're being told here is that these are angels. I mean, your clothes don't gleam like lightning, right? I mean, I've I've never had that happen. That'd be pretty cool. Um, And and the angels, they they asked these women a, a question. They said, why do you look for the living among the dead? It's actually a very deep question. And it's actually a rhetorical question. So it's not like the angels are confused here. They're, they're not looking for information. Actually, they're trying to provoke these women to insight, to understanding, trying to help them see that they've actually missed something very important, in particular about who Jesus is and what he came to do. So what is it that they missed? Well, I want to just highlight for you three, briefly, three things that they missed that we ourselves can miss as well. And all of this sort of falls under the heading of looking for the living among the dead. So here are the three things. First, we can miss the reality of the resurrection. Second, we can miss the significance of the resurrection. And third, we can miss the spiritual power of the resurrection. So that's what we're going to look at. Uh, Let's jump in. So the first thing they missed uh, is the reality of the resurrection. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. When they came to the tomb, when these women came to the tomb, they did not expect to find a resurrected Jesus. Uh, This was completely unexpected for them. They came assuming the tomb would be full, not empty. How do we know? Well, think about this. We are told they came carrying spices. Now, now why would they come with spices? Well, spices would have been used to anoint a dead body. They would have been coming to prepare and actually complete the burial ritual that they weren't able to complete uh, when Jesus was initially entombed. And so that's why they came. So in other words, they uh, came um, not expecting resurrection. They came, uh, they, had, they had no idea that this was going to happen. 
And they believed that Jesus was among the dead. And here's another way of putting it. They thought that, that Jesus was just like, you know, like the founder of every other, you know, religion. And, and, and of course, all those founders are, are still in the grave and you can pick, pick anyone you like. Uh, so what the angels are essentially saying to these women and what they're saying to us is that if you approach Jesus like that, as though he's just a good teacher or, or just a holy man, uh, as one who's still in the grave, then you will never find him because he's not there. He's risen. He's risen. And so the first thing that Luke, Luke shows us is that the tomb is empty, uh, that Jesus' body is gone because he's risen from the dead. Now, I hope you don't mind, but I'm coming to your neighborhood for just, just a second here. I wonder how many of us are making this mistake today. And it goes something like this. You might think, you know, well, I think, you know, Jesus' teachings are important. I, I find them in, in, inspiring, and, I, and in many ways, I, I respect him. And, and, but, you know, I, I can't believe this, 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 this primitive idea that he, like, literally rose from the dead. I mean, I'm a modern person. I've got a smartphone. You know, I mean, back then, people were simple. They didn't know these kinds of things. Uh, surely, this must be some sort of just, I don't know, like a metaphor for some deeper spiritual truth. But I, but I just can't believe that he actually rose from the dead. Now, that, that's a common line of thought. But here's what's so fascinating about this passage is that we see here that it's actually always been difficult to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. This has actually been always a challenge for people to believe. And think about it. They knew, think about this. They knew that once people died, they stayed dead, right? They're not like wondering, well, we buried Bob. I wonder if he's going to come back. I mean, they don't like, sit around kind of eating, eating whatever they, you know, this is, this is not the kind of line of thought. No, they knew that once someone died, they, they stayed dead, stayed dead. The human race did not have to wait for Google or Wikipedia to figure that out, right? And by the way, I'll just throw this in. We think we're so sophisticated, but I mean, think about what we do with our technology. Like we're making fecal emojis. I'm not going to explain that. <laughs> we're just going to move along. But again, if you're struggling with this, I can't believe I said that in church. <laughs> but, if <you're> st- <laughs> but if you're struggling with this, you're, you're in good company. Okay, let me just, whew, okay, let's get back to where we were here. The point, the point is that it's always been difficult to believe in the resurrection. Now, uh, today, one of the, the reasons why people can struggle with this is because they're like, hey, I, you know, we've got this scientific mindset or what philosophers would call a naturalistic mindset. Uh, you know, and you know, on that view, like, you know, we don't believe uh, in miracles. That's just kind of an assumption, you know, but in each culture, they have their own reasons for having a stumbling block with regard to the resurrection. So, for example, in the Greco-Roman world, they thought that matter was bad, that they believed that the body was bad. If you read, so like Plato or someone like that, they thought that, you know, salvation was escaping from the body. And so they had a really low view of physical uh, life and reality. And so their idea of, 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 of a physical resurrection was just kind of crazy to them. Now, in the Jewish context, they had a different set of reasons for being skeptical about the resurrection. They did believe in a general resurrection at the end of time for all of God's people, uh, but there was no idea that that anyone had ever thought that there would be one person uh, raised to a a sort of new bodily life in the middle of history while the rest of the world kind of went on as before. That was just unthinkable to them. And so in those days, whether in a Jewish context or kind of a secular kind of, if you will, Greco-Roman context, the idea of a physical resurrection was just unthinkable 
just as much it is today for so many people. So, so if that's the case, you might wonder, how was it that these women and the apostles, and then eventually hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people eventually became convinced that this actually happened? How, how is that possible? Well, I think the answer is that they actually encountered, the best explanation is that they actually encountered the risen Christ. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, in other words, it's another name for Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for dying. So in other words, the Bible doesn't say, just believe. Just, you know, just take a blind leap of faith. Uh, that's not what's going on here at all. On the contrary, what Luke is actually doing here is he is offering evidence. How so? Well, in various ways, but here's one. I can only just kind of highlight one for you. He names names. This is actually significant. He names names. So look at verse 10. He doesn't just say women in general or the apostles in general. He, he, he mentions what? He, he mentions Joanna, and she was, by the way, the wife uh, of the administrator of Herod. Uh, we, he mentions Mary Magdalene, a reformed prostitute, by the way. Mentions Mary, the mother of James. Now, here's what's significant about that. In, in ancient times, when names were given, uh, they would function sort of like footnotes function in, in our day. Uh, and, and so Luke is basically saying, here's what happened, but if you don't believe me, go ask these people. And they will tell you. They were eyewitnesses. And we see specific names like this listed all throughout the New Testament. And, and by the way, if, if this was a fabrication, if this was sort of a, a myth that the apostles were spinning, there's no way that they would try to propagate this in the place where these events were alleged to have happened. They would have gone someplace far away and try to get some myth percolating that might kind of trickle around. But they go to the place where these events were alleged to happen and they don't stick to generalities. They name names. They name names. They put it all on the line. And, and, and here's what you have to know, that Christianity took off like wildfire against all odds. I mean, this was this very fringy little group of people against the power of the Roman Empire. And here we are 2,000 years later in Fullerton, California in 2019, worship, worshiping this risen Jesus. I mean, that's, that requires some explanation. That actually requires some explanation. That is an amazing reality. So, so belief in, in, in the resurrection spread like wildfire, um, but there's just no way that would have happened if this was made up, because again, literally hundreds of people were invoked as eyewitnesses. And so um, if the apostles were making this up, people could have easily have gone to those people and found out that, oh, no, wait, wait, they said what? That eyewitnessed what? No. And they, they would, have, it would have just fallen apart. Now, so in light of all that, if you think that um, people back and they were just sort of, I don't know, inherently gullible or stupid, then you are guilty of what I think, I think it was C.S. Lewis who came up with this choice term, but, but uh, he would say you are guilty of chronological snobbery. <laughs> in other words, we modern people, we're so sophisticated, we're so, we've got it together. And those, you know, those people back in the day, they were gullible uh, and so forth. And by the way, uh, again, we saw people back and they knew once you died, you stayed dead, right? And these are actually intelligent people share a story to illustrate. So when I was an undergrad at Cal Poly, I organized a discussion, a scholarly discussion on the resurrection between two of the world's top scholars, one a Christian, one an atheist. 
The atheist scholar was a guy by the name of Anthony Flew, who was one of the most, if not the most, outspoken atheists of the past, academics of the past 50 years, and they had a discussion on the resurrection. Now, Anthony, because I was organizing this, we had to correspond, but he was old school. He did not do email, and so we did like letters. Isn't that amazing? Like letters. And in one letter he sent to me, this is amazing, because I mean, he's this very uh, serious atheist, he made a passing reference to St. Paul's, quote, brilliant philosophical mind. See, even though at that point in time he didn't believe, he saw that these were brilliant people. These were intelligent people. These weren't just kind of this, you know, ah, shucks, I guess Jesus rose from the dead because I don't have anything else to believe. I mean, it's like, no. These are like, and they went like, they, they faced like, you know, like wild animals in, in Roman Colosseums and fire. I just, I, sometime I want to read to you the, the account of the martyrdom of St. Polycarp. So amazing. Don't have time. Ah, ah, so amazing. Anyways, but they, they faced all these things. Again, this is not just like, well, no, these were intelligent people. And actually, by the way, Anthony Flew, he actually, not long after that discussion, actually became a theist. I don't know if he actually ever became a Christian, but he was kind of moving that direction, so it's amazing. But here's just how I'll sum up this point. The claim that that's anyone rose from the dead is difficult to believe in general, but on top of that, each culture has its own biases against it. And so if you're going to get thousands of people, and if you're going to get widespread numbers of people to believe that somebody was, first of all, that somebody was God, which had been a, a cr- tremendously difficult thing for a, a, a Jewish person to believe, and furthermore, that they were raised from the dead, you would have had to have such incredibly powerful, overwhelming evidence to kind of break through their prejudices and their paradigms that convince them. And so I want to submit to you this morning, that is the, by far and away, the best explanation of what happens that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. And so, amen, 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 something to celebrate. And so if you treat him as if he's dead, then you're flying in the face of what Luke is telling us here. You're flying in the face of the evidence. And so if you think he's you know, just a good man or whatever, you'll, you'll never find him that way because he is the living Lord. He is not here. He has risen is what the angels are saying. So that's the first way we can miss it. Uh, we can miss the reality of the resurrection. I'll have to be more concise for the next couple points. Um, but uh, the second way you can miss it to, and, and to seek the living among the dead is not just to disbelieve uh, or miss the reality of the resurrection, but to miss the significance of the resurrection. And what's so interesting uh, about the angels and what they say here is, is that when, you know, again, they encounter these women and the women are bewildered and the angels say, you know, he's risen. Why don't you believe he's risen? You know, why don't you expect it? What's interesting is that what the angels then say in response to that is, is not just that, didn't you know that he had died? But they say, didn't you know that he had to die? That there's, there's actually significance here. There's something like at a deeper level that they missed in terms of the whole significance of Jesus' life in the first place. In verse 7, the angels remind the women, they say, didn't you know that, quote, he must be betrayed, crucified, and raised again? So that word must, that's a key word for this whole phrase, that he must be delivered, that he must die, that he must be raised. So let me just unpack this briefly. So, so I believe that these women are like perhaps many of us today where... You know, they, um, you know, believed, um, you know, many of us, you know, for example, do believe in the reality of the resurrection uh, that might, maybe don't have much reason not to, but, but what, what, what so often we don't understand is and what the women didn't understand is that he had to die, that Jesus had to die. And so what does that mean? What that means is that 
I think these women knew that he had died in, for them in some sort of general way, that he had suffered for him, that he had suffered as kind of an example. He was an example of love and, and so forth. So they knew he, he died in some sort of general way and that he loved them, but they didn't understand that he had to die. Why? Well, I think in their minds, he was just one more example of another good human being. And, and the impact of that on their life was simply that, well, you know, they came, well, we're going to honor his memory. We're going to bring spices and, you know, we'll, we'll try to live like that. We'll try to live sacrificial lives like that. But they didn't understand that he had to die. And at this point, again, I think they just thought of him kind of as an example of what it means to be Christian and, and just someone for them to emulate. And of course, we see that they're extremely devout. Again, in, in verse one, we see that not only did they bring spices, but they actually waited until the Sabbath was over so as to not violate the Sabbath before they came and did this. So that tells us that they are like very religious in the best sense of the word. But here's the, here's the catch. You can be religious you can set about trying to serve Jesus yet still miss who he is and the significance of what he came to do. So again, what does it mean to say, not just that he died, but that he had to die? What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. To say that Jesus didn't just die as an example, but that he had to die uh, as, as a sacrifice, as, as a ransom, that he had to be raised means that we can't save ourselves. He had to die. Because otherwise, we would have been out of luck. Just out of luck. And therefore, this means that none of our serving of him or nothing that we can do can really get us out of the hole that we've dug for ourselves as human beings. Uh, one way of thinking of the human condition, it's like we're stuck in this, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember the old 80s medical alert commercial, you know, help, I've fallen out, I can't get up. Uh, it's kind of like the human race fell and it couldn't get up. It's like we're in this infinite, infinitely deep pit and try as we may, we can't climb out. And so we need the infinite God to come down and traverse the distance that we could not do on our own. You see, he had to die. He had to be raised. Otherwise, we would be without hope, without a prayer. So Jesus, he was a model, but he didn't just come to be a model for us or an ethical standard. Rather, he came to be our savior, our rescuer, and our Lord. He came to do for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And until you see that Luke is telling us that you're seeking the living among the dead, you're treating him as if he's just another founder of a religion that is in the grave. The angels are telling us, don't seek the living among the dead. That is the second thing. Last point. So there are probably three groups of people here today. um, And... and, uh, and you can tell if you're in this third group, if here's what you hap- happened during the first two points. So the first point I said, you know, the first way you can miss it and to dre- treat Jesus as if he's dead, as if you don't believe in the reality of the resurrection, uh, you know, that you believe this is just a metaphor or a legend. And so you heard that and you said, you know, ah, you know, not me, I believe. And so you weren't in that first group. But then in, in the next point, uh, I, I said, you know, another way you can still treat Jesus as, as, as if he's dead is by, is by kind of trying to earn your own salvation. And, and so you might not be someone who, who struggles with the basic tenets uh, of the faith, such as the resurrection. But if you're in that group, you're maybe struggling with the gospel itself. You're struggling with the reality that we're saved by grace through faith and in Jesus and, and what he's done and not as a result of, of what we can do. And so if you're struggling with that, I said that's really kind of the second mistake that we, we can make. But if you're in the third group, when you heard that, you said, okay, I know, I get that. I know we're not saved by anything we can do for Christ, but rather what he has done for us. 
You know, Jesus said the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so he said, you know, I know that, I, I get that. And so, so if that's kind of where you are, that you, you might be in this third group. And so there's also, even if you're in this group, there's still a way that you can miss and treat Jesus as if he's dead. So you may know the reality of the resurrection. You may know that it really happened. You may even know the significance of why it happened. But even still, you might miss the spiritual power of the resurrection. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I, I suspect that for some of us, if, if we're honest, that in terms, when it comes right down to, in terms of our actual relationship with Jesus, he might as well be dead, functionally. Because it's just lifeless, and you may know many things about him, but if you're honest, you would have to say, maybe I've spent years in church, but you would have to say, I don't really feel like I know him. I don't really feel like I have a relationship with him. And if that's where you are, there's no shame in that. But I think part of what growth looks like is just being aware of where we are in our journey. And, and so really the invitation of this passage is not just to believe the doctrine that the resurrection happened, not even just to believe the reality of the gospel that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but also to enter into this life-giving, vital relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And so know if you're like in this place, like I believe it's all true, but there's just no life there for me, then know that there is more for you. There is more for you. And actually the Bible uses all this like rich, like experiential language to talk about our life with God. For example, in Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And one commentator has this fascinating uh, observation about that. And he says, you know, why, why would it say this? Doesn't this almost know that his readers know that the Lord is good? They know that the Lord is good isn't enough to know that. And if, you know, because of course they know that, but, but actually it's not because we are invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so uh, is it enough to know that Christ is risen? Well, uh, actually we are invited here to something even deeper than that, to actually, again, to taste and see, to encounter the risen Christ. And so the question this this, this, this forces for us is just, have you really opened your heart to him? Have you really surrendered your life to him? Are you taking time to get to know him? I, we know we have so many distractions in our world today that just try to, actually, that's, they're, they're designed to pull our attention away from everything else, just to whatever that technological thing is. But the invitation is that we can come and taste and see through the risen Jesus that the Lord is good and experience life in a relationship with him because he is really alive. And that means you can know him today. So that's, that's the invitation. That's the invitation. Just in closing, I want to invite the band to come back up. And just a, just a couple uh, quick thoughts kind of by way of application. And in Luke's gospel, which is a, just an account of the life of Jesus, there's kind of this theme of a journey. And the Christian life is really a journey. And one of the things that implies is that for each of us, there is a next step. So regardless of where you are this morning, there is a next step for you in your life with God. And some of you here today, perhaps you're like, you know, I still don't know what to do this resurrection thing, but you're curious. And, and if you are in that group, I would just say, be like Peter in this story who he, once he heard this news, he ran to the tomb. He did not hesitate. He didn't put it off another day because he realized that if this is true, this changes everything. You have to get that. Like, if this is true, this changes everything, regardless of whether it is or not. If it's true, it changes everything. 
And so I invite you to don't just put that up, but actually in this season to explore and, and, and to help you with that, we have some resources on our info table. We have some free Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and a readable translation, we would love to just offer that to you as our gift to you today. We also have some little booklets just to give a little more background on the resurrection. And one of them is written by a guy who's a journalist and an atheist uh, for many years. And, and he went on a journey and he found the risen Christ. And so that's an invitation. Now, some of us here today... Um, if you're in this third category and, and you believe it's all true and, and you understand the gospel, you feel like there's just no life in your relationship with God. Maybe it feels like there's a block and you're like, I don't even know what that is. I would just invite you to get prayer today. We have a wonderful, amazing, mature prayer team. They will be today because we've got a full house. They will be in the hall where the coffee and, and snack. Oh, no, actually, we've got, we have a little bit of room. We've got a little bit of room here. Okay, we're good. Okay, so they're going to be off to the side. Cool stand corrected. So that's good. So they would love to pray for you today about anything going on in your life, but in particular about this today. Um, and uh, finally, uh, there are probably some of us here today where for you, it's not so much an information thing that like you, you, you kind of, you know, you believe in God, you think he's out there, you think this story is probably true, but you have never had a time where you actually like personally responded where you personally opened your life to Jesus and invited him in. If that's where you are, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that today as we close, just in kind of a non-embarrassing way. So I just invite you just to kind of close your eyes with me and, and bow your heads in prayer. And as if we've been worshiping and, and, and looking at God's word today, just something stirring in you where you want to know this risen Christ. Maybe you've never done that, or maybe you kind of wandered away from him. And you just want to invite him in afresh. You want to experience and encounter him afresh. Um, I just um, want to invite you to just, just whisper, just pray a simple prayer with me. And the prayer is simply this. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And those aren't all the words you'll want to say. That's just the start of a conversation. But if um, that's where you are today, I just invite you. Just, you can just quietly just whisper this to God right now. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And just sort of a response of faith. That's, if you've just prayed that just now, I'd just love to know so I can pray for you. If you just slip your hand up briefly, I'd love just to pray for you. Beautiful, beautiful, thank you. Beautiful, anyone else? Beautiful. Anyone else? This is just a time to meet with God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are still in the business of redeeming and restoring lives, that you are the risen Christ, that you're alive and well, and therefore that means you can come into our lives and, and change it. You can bring hope and healing and joy and freedom. So would you do that in this place today? Would you just unleash your presence your healing, your love, your hope, your freedom in this place today. And I thank you for those who responded today for the first time or just re-surrendered their life to you. God, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, and that you would lead them closer and closer to you. And for all of us, we pray that. We're going to continue in this posture of prayer for a moment. And um, some of you just might want to do business with God. Maybe you haven't talked to him in, in a while. <laughs> you can do that before we come to the table for communion. And I know that sometimes when we come in here 
on a Sunday, you might be carrying regret or shame or guilt. And when, God does not want you to be carrying that around. He wants you to come to his table this morning with joy in your heart. And so you might just want to, if there's something in your heart, just confess that to God. And ask for his forgiveness, ask for his freedom. There's actually some words in your bulletin you might want to use um, to guide you in that this morning. Let's just take a moment to do business with God. Then we'll continue in worship.